saw you at the Open Champs. That was the last time we chatted, and you were you were on the range with Matt, crushing a few drivers and changing launch angles and spin rates and working on what you had. Um, I'm really curious now. That's obviously been a would you, would you say that's your best tournament of the year? Is that the best you felt Sunday? Um, I, I would say that's tied with Pebble for sure. I felt like I had a really good chance to win at Pebble and um, finished fourth because Justin Rose kind of pulled away from the pack at the end. But at the same time, like when I was on 13 green, those guys were making a you know a mess of that hole, and I had that birdie putt to get between <laughs> get within one get within one there. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I would say they're tied between Pebble and Riviera. I mean, Riviera is a tougher field, and the but at the end of the day, like you know, at the top, the at the top of the leaderboard, it doesn't really matter the field size. Like it's, it's a PGA Tour event, the the guys are going to be play, all playing their best golf. So the line's so thin up there. But I would I would put Riviera and Pebble definitely together. I've noticed, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is always a pretty good time of year for you, isn't it? You feel oh, like you think players' form fluctuates. Like we've always had players that come late, come early, but this feels like Keith Mitchell time of season to me. I've definitely had a lot of success on the Florida swing. Um, so getting ready for having a good West Coast swing leading into that is definitely a bonus because for some reason I just like those golf courses, the way they're set up, the grasses. Uh, I kind of you know, grew up on all that turf. I never grew up playing Poana. I didn't really play it until maybe college. So learning that at a really late age was tougher than just, you know, Bermuda is just natural to me. So that's, uh, I, I, that's, you know, that's definitely the, the, the exciting part of Florida is knowing that I've played well there. I like the golf courses and in the grasses and, um, and just kind of trying to piggyback off of a nice West coast swing is, is what we're looking to. So we can try to get into the match play in Austin and then to Augusta and the rest of the majors. And are you feeling any different this year to previous years, or have you just had a, a nice roll? Or what's going on? Do you, do you feel like a different player this year? I just feel like I really believe in the the system and the processes I've been using lately, and it's taken about a year for them to really kind of click. And I've been working pretty hard on a lot of things in my game, and you know, I knew that they were getting better, and it just took some time for them to show that they're getting a lot better. I'd say we, we had a chance to sit down, uh, I guess it was, what, a couple months ago in December, and we were chatting with you as you were working down at Sea Island. It, it felt like you're more focused than you've ever been. Would you say that's kind of like you're, you're zeroed in, like in a, at a different level than you have been? I, I feel like I'm, I'm not searching as much on ways to get better, and I feel like I know what it takes for me and my game to get better. So it's a lot easier to be focused because you're never guessing. You're just kind of like, this is what I need to do to get better. I'm going to go accomplish it. And then once you once you kind of have that figured out, it just gets a lot easier and efficient in practice and preparation because you're never wondering or searching or you know trying to find something that hopes is going to make you play better. Yeah. So I, I sat up Sunday night, watched every shot, and um, we were tweeting away and just kind of seeing what other people felt about it. And there was a point where it was so close between yourself and the eventual winner, John Rahm. I'm sure we can say his name. I'm sure that's fine. I, there was a particular hole where I think he thinned, he was in the bunker, he thinned his shot, and you had a putt, you had a short putt 
I was like, oh, you make that part and we're really close. Are you doing the maths in your head at that moment or are you just out there playing golf and rolling? And... I've always I've always said when people don't know where they stand or are either lying or trying to brainwash themselves because there's leaderboards everywhere on the golf course <laughs> and you can't avoid them. And I always like to know where I am to kind of, it just gives you a little extra motivation, find out where you need to get, what happens if you make birdie. So I knew exactly where I was the whole time. And I mean, when I think I was standing on 10 T, I was five back. And then when I had a putt on 13 to go one back like that, it's just crazy that how fast <laughs> things can change. So you can, you're never out of it ever. And remembering that going into the tournament and going into the final round is something that you just have to be patient. You cannot force a win. You don't have to lead the whole time. And you know, if the cards fall your way and a few putts fall, then, you know, you're right there on 18. So talk me through your week a little bit. Because I'm, I'm always really curious how people feel when they roll up on a Monday versus their result on come Sunday afternoon. So I, I assume you rolled in Monday for a practice round, or, or did you come a bit later? Hi. Uh, uh, yeah, I came in Monday. I didn't didn't really do anything Monday at all because you know Phoenix is is a draining week. Um, it's you know a lot of energy, mental, physical. That's just a. It's a great week, but it's a tough week. So I didn't do anything Monday. Then Tuesday, I uh, only played four holes. I practiced for, I think I hit some wedges, uh, probably for about 45 minutes to get my wedge numbers down. Played played 10, 11, 12, and thir- 10, 11, 12, 13, and 9. So I guess I played five holes, I guess. And... um kind of got some PT work, went to the gym, um, you know, another light session because it was my third week in a row. So I knew my game was there. I was just maintaining and, you know, a little maintenance work and then trying to rest up as much as possible because if you lose any sort of energy coming down the stretch, either on Saturday or Sunday, then whatever that that amount of energy is worth is is not worth, you know, spending it on cramming what I feel like is cramming for the test on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I kind of took it easy Monday, Tuesday, where it was an 18 hole pro at Wednesday. So that was definitely, I knew that was coming. So, you know, playing 18 holes five days in a row, Riviera is definitely a, is a, is a big week. That, that's the mental change though, isn't it? I guess as you, as you mature and get comfortable on the scene, thinking backwards from Sunday afternoon versus turning up thinking about making a cut on Friday. Absolutely. I mean, if knowing, knowing and experiencing what this is my sixth year on tour, I've, I've had all the feels, right? The feels of like, of, <laughs> oh no, I hope I play good this week too. I feel like I'm playing great this week. You end up missing the cut. You're afraid in the beginning. You end up making the cut, all this stuff. So you finally kind of learn to just manage those expectations and those feelings throughout the week. And this was one of those where, you know, being my six year tour, I was comfortable saying, look, I don't really need to practice that hard the upcoming days. I need to rest so that I can be prepared for Sunday. You you were obviously watching as well, Chris. Of course. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's been a it's been a blast watching the last couple of weeks. I mean, I know everyone always talks about how phenomenal Riviera is, the course, the venue, the field, everything about it. It it was it was so much fun seeing you at the top of the leaderboard and literally just the ball striking is what's just 
a phenomenal right now. So is there anything you've been focusing on? It seems like the iron game is strong. The wedge game has been phenomenal. You know, what, what has kind of kind of turned the table from Keith being just the driver of the golf ball, to just all around ball striker. Definitely hitting a little more three quarter shots with my irons. Um, I I'm a high speed, high spin player. And so my irons, when I hit them full can sometimes get too high and I start losing some control. Um, so learning to hit three quarter shots a little bit more efficiently, which bleeds into your wedge game because it's rare to ever hit a full wedge. And so those two things kind of parallel each other. And then sometimes at Riv, though, you do have to hit it high. So maintaining that ability to hit it high with a lot of spin, but also picking and choosing the different shots and when to hit them. I think I hit two shots on number seven on Thursday and Friday that were almost, you know, two and a half clubs more club than a usual. And choking up and just hitting like a little flighted shot because it was just a breath into the wind. And I hit both of them to inside probably four or five feet. So uh, the commentators were saying over those last two days, they felt you've actually played the better golf of the three players. Did you feel that? Did you feel like you were flowing? I, I felt like I played good enough to win. I hit the crazy part was on number six, I hit a great putt that did a 180 lip out, came right back to me. Hit another really good putt on eleven that low side lipped over ninety degrees for you know for birdie, and you know so those were two putts I hit nicely that didn't go in, and then I hit a poor putt I feel like on um right well a really good putt on twelve too it was right in the middle of the hole from probably twenty five feet that came up just an inch short, and it's crazy that putt felt downhill but you're actually putting back uphill. And that was the hole that Rom three putted. He did the same thing. He left it like four or five feet short and ended up missing it. I had practically the same putt. And knowing what he did, I still left it short because that putt is so deceiving. So I hit three really good putts that I felt like should have gone in the hole. And then I didn't, I didn't hit a good enough putt on 13. Um, I didn't, I just had a bad read. I didn't hit a good putt on 15 and I didn't hit a good putt on 17. Um, you know, Rom's putt broke like crazy off the front of the hole on 17. So I gave it a little more break and I kind of second guessed it, pushed it a little bit, and I still missed it right. Um, because that putt was so tough. It looked like it was a left edge putt, but it was actually almost a cup out. And so I'm, I was playing with my mind trying to figure out where that putt was. So, you know, I hit two good putts that didn't go in, and I hit like two or three bad putts that didn't go in. So you know, I can I can definitely look at myself in the mirror and say, like, yeah, those were not the best putts. I'm not complaining that they didn't go in. But the putts I did hit, well, still didn't go in. So, I mean, there's five putts right there. And, you know, I, I won the golf tournament. So, but, you, you know, must have known on 18. When you stood on 18 with the putter in your hand, I knew you were going to hold it. Because nice. there was like a, <laughs> I don't know, there was like a release of tension, wasn't there? Was that, but that that's the, the, the interesting thing is, like, that's so common with, like, the club golfer. You've just you've just gone through all that pain, and then the 18th just gives you something, and it just felt it just felt almost poetic that that putt had to drop. That was the hardest putt I had all day too. I mean, not even <laughs> close. It's straight up the hill. It the ball's above my feet, so it breaks left right off my feet, and then that pin tucks. It it broke. I think it broke two feet the last probably five feet. So if you watch that putt, I mean, it's going just straight across the hole. And and 
I looked up, I hit it solid, and you know, the ball's two feet outside the left with five, six feet to go. And I'm like, oh, well, who knows if this goes in, if this goes right in the middle. So it, the fact that I close out with that putt definitely put a little, you know, a nice, um, a nice ending to it, to a great week. And knowing how close I was, um, it is, you know, it's, it's bittersweet. Like, I hate saying close. I hate when people say, oh, you're so close. Your game's right there. It's like, well, I appreciate it, but like, I'm ready for that close to be over. I want it to be, I want it to, I want to hold another trophy. It's been, you know, four years to the, you know, this week since the last time they held a trophy. And that's too long. I don't care how good you're playing. I don't care how, you know, what everybody says about your game. Like, it's, I'm, I hate to say it, I'm sick of being close. What's the, what, what is the motivation this year then, Keith? Because there's definitely something different in your mindset. What's the what's the what's the big goal out there? I know you've spoken about Ryder Cup before, and that's we're not a million miles away from that. Is that anything to do with it? I, there, I, it's it's tough to say because everybody has result goals, but you don't achieve your result goals unless you complete your process goals. So if I write down like result goals, it's like, you know, playing all the majors, playing the Ryder Cup, containing on Sunday, you know, whatever. But none of that matters. Like you could have that same result goal right now, right? Like it, it just, it doesn't matter until you have your process goals of how to get there. And that's where I try to focus. It's like, look, I'm going to do the best I can today, the next day, the day after that. And whatever comes from that will hopefully achieve my result goals. Because if I just sit there and say, I'm trying to make the Ryder Cup, I'm trying to make the Ryder Cup. Well, then all that weight and that worry and that stress goes into your process and then it actually goes the opposite way. So if you put all that worry and stress into your process, then all of a sudden you look up and then the results take care of themselves. So moving on to equipment, because we have to do that because it's a Mizuno podcast and it would be negligent <laughs> of me not to talk about a few bits and pieces. Should we start off with it? You've got a new nickname, Cashmere Keith. Do you prefer <laughs> that to what's come before or is that that one? <laughs> That's that's actually been around for about two years, and it's kind of an internal <laughs> locker room thing. And then Colt Bose brought it to the forefront at Pebble Beach. Jim Nance ran with it, and you know, got to give my my clothing guys Sid Mashburn some credit because, like, hey, look, they made great clothes. And he's like, well, what kind of sweaters do you like? And he had cashmere on the line, so I was like, well, why would I not take that? Right? Like, I mean, <laughs> they wouldn't wear it if they have the choice. So of course I took them, and then next thing you know, that just kind of snowballs in a nickname. And I would say it's pretty rare to have a non-negative nickname. I would say so. It's, it's, better, than, it's better than Kevin, isn't it? <laughs> I still got a Kevin last week too. By the way, <laughs> how do you bring cashmere to the Florida swing? That's going to be a bit of a challenge, right? <laughs> it's in the mornings, and I mean, I tell you what, last year and. Uh, at the players, it was like 38 one morning. It was oh, yeah. Freezing. <laughs> so let's, let's go to some clubs then. So new driver went into play. Your driving stats are great this year. I don't know if you feel like you're swinging it better or it's just the same and the numbers are just adding up in your, in your favor. But you're ranked number one overall for overall driving stats on PGA Tour so far this season. It, it's honestly the new driver is is the... You know, the dynamics of a new driver fit my swing so perfectly. Um, you know, a lot. Of, I'm a fade guy, and I know a lot of the, you know, everyday golfers are trying to get away from a fade and trying to hit a draw. 
So some drivers are, you know, they can counteract what you do naturally and you have to try to figure out what it is. And, you know, thankfully the Zeno makes a Z and an X so that, you know, they can fit into each category. But this Z has a lot less spin and a lot more foot weight than the prior drivers. And that gives me increased ball speed and decreased spin without having to manipulate the weight and the head. And that has been an absolute game changer for me. I mean, I've probably dropped three to 400 RPMs on my driver without changing anything other than putting the new head in play. And that is a dramatic increase because I can, I can hit the shot I want to hit without compromising the, you know, the engineering behind the driver. And that is such a, you know, like if you put your, take your Mazuna driver and test it exactly how it's supposed to be tested. I'm using it that way instead of trying to, uh, you know, manipulate it to make it fit toward me. And being it as a player to have that sort of confidence in your equipment, um, just translates straight into the course. And you can see it in the driving stats and just your your level of comfort on the tee. I think it was it was a Smiley who said he wished he was a, as comfortable brushing his teeth as you were hitting a drive, like everything looks so confident with it and it just feels like you just set up and go because you know it's going to do what you want it to do it's it's the truth and i've always felt like i've been comfortable with my driver and so i don't want to say yeah this driver hasn't been this driver just took that comfort to the next level in the performance because i've always felt like i swung with freedom with the club with that club and now like this i remember testing this driver last april and John said, don't get mad at me after you hit this. And I was like, why would, why would I get mad at you? And he goes, just hit it and we'll figure it out. So I didn't know if this was a positive or a negative. And I hit the first two drives. It's like, oh my gosh, why, why on earth would I ever be mad at you? This is amazing. He goes, because you can't use it until October. <laughs> so that's then I got mad at him. And so I put him in play in October. And I've had three top teams since. And, um, you know. Had a, had a great start to the season. And you're testing a few other bits and pieces as well. I've seen a sneaky fairway wood in there as well. I think you've been giving some feedback. Um, the fairway woods are amazing. And believe it or not, this might be the first, the first time anyone's ever complained about a club going too far. <laughs> the fairway woods <laughs> are so good that I've tried to find a way to make them go shorter to hit my distances because they're so hot. And they go so high that the three wood is almost approaching my driver. And then the five wood is almost approaching my three wood. So then I have a big gap in between my four iron and my five wood. So finding a way to actually tone these clubs back is, is what we're working on because they are so advanced and so good. You, are you on that project, Chris? Are you part of that? Uh, I'm on the outskirts of that project, I, you know, on the fringes, look, hearing all the results, and it, it's amazing. We're hearing phenomenal things about, obviously, the driver, but the fairway woods as well. And, you know, it's, we're probably not that company that most people think of when they're thinking of, oh, let me try some new fairway woods. But, man, these new ones, and I know some ones that you've tested that are coming in the future, are, are they're, they're game changers as well. So we're excited about it. They're extremely hot. <laughs> The, the great thing is, obviously, there's a, there's an industry out there in testing golf clubs as well. So there's some very, very, very good guys uh, that, that take it very thoroughly and are very open and transparent. And then there's been, I would say, there's been a few lazy ones as well, Chris, this season, where maybe someone's just thrown that Mizuno driver in, given it 20 minutes, read a bit of press copy, hit it, 
assumed it wasn't going to be up to scratch for, for whatever reason, and then made that their outcome. And it's lovely to be able to go through some of those YouTube reviews and just put at the bottom, well, the best driver of a golf ball on the PGA Tour plays it. And he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be too held back by the thing. <laughs> right, exactly. The, the more thorough testing, and that's that's what's great about Keith just as a, as a player on staff is that he's as thorough as they come in terms of testing. You know, he's not putting something into play that's just kind of okay or kind of working slightly better. Unless it's doing something measurably different, he, does, he doesn't want it, which we, we respect as a, as a company and as a player because he wants what's best for his game. And it's just been great to have Keith on staff for the last number of years just helping us get better at what we're doing so we can help him be better at what he's doing. So, and whether, whether you know it or not, Keith, you were the first guy to put it in play. And now we've got a little, you know, we've got a very small, small army of younger players looking up to somebody like yourself who now don't question it when we have them a driver. So I'll give you a good example. I don't know if you met him at the Open, but Marco Penge. Marco Penge, phenomenal driver of a golf ball. He's playing Challenge Tour right now. The fact that you're playing the driver made it so much easier to put one in his hands. So we've now got, we've now got a group of guys, you know, 20 to 25 coming through behind you that no longer have that fear factor of playing a Mizuno driver because Keith Mitchell plays one. So you're one guy, but you actually started a little bit of a movement for us. So <laughs> well, it's, it's quite an impact. It's funny because I'll never forget that I came down in the, in the fall of 18 to Fonda Vidra uh, to test with Kyle. And I kind of had the same thing. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, wasn't the driver at the time, you know, wasn't even in my contract. And they're like, yeah, we'll just test it. Just test it to see if we can get some feedback from the numbers. Or, you know, we're, we're on this mission to make a better driver. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll happily come test, but, you know, whatever. I'll just, I'm hitting my other driver at the time. And 10 swings later, I was like, what, what in the world? This thing is unbelievable. And so I kept testing, I kept testing, and I put it in play immediately and won probably three months later for my first tour win. And at that point in time, that was when I knew that the Mizuno driver was as good, if not better, for me with all the characteristics of it, of that uh, driver at the time, than any other driver on the market. Because I didn't have to play it, right? It was something that was that was sort of, um, you know, you guys were saying, look, you know, our, we know our irons are great, or, you know, but we're going to push for this driver. And, you know, that was five years ago now. And it is officially... A, one of the best drivers in the world right now, not only because of the stats that you can see, but I can say that because I would not use a piece of equipment at my strength. Like driving is my strength. I would never use anything that would hinder my strength because then I would lose, you know, a lot of my um, abilities that took got to do the PGA Tour. So in every year, you know, we've worked together and tried to find a way to make that driver better and better and better. And I've used every single one in sequence since that. And that is so rare on any occasion because they've gotten better every year. And this one by far is the best. And that sounds like a marketing spiel, like y'all told me to do that. But I mean, <laughs> that's the truth. Like I, I, I would never use a piece of equipment that would take anything away, whether it's 1% and I'm only using it because it's adding and adding and adding. And if you're, a, you know, a high speed, you know, fade bias guy, there is no way that that Z is not the best driver on the planet for you. And then if you're a guy that, you know, wants to hit a high draw, then you get a different chance and put the X in play and you got the, you got the same benefits. 
And and that's awesome. That's where having a player like Keith just giving us his feedback, talking about what he's looking for, what what does each driver need to do to perform that one percent better than the one before it, and you know taking that feedback and putting it into the design, putting it into the technologies behind it, has allowed us to advance from a company that yeah we're just hoping to be in the mix to a company that when we're in the mix we're winning the ball speed battles, we're winning the the driver launch monitor wars and all that stuff so it, it's been awesome so thank you for that Keith. well and even the the aesthetics of the driver we talked about before this new one came out you know the, I, I got a prototype and the way that he, he like toe slept a little bit with the graphics and all these things and you guys were asking me when it felt i was like look it makes this face look open it makes the toe look like it swings out and it was the same exact shape it was just the graphics on top we we tweaked those graphics a little bit made it a little more square and then now the driver looks better. So not only is it performance, it's aesthetics as well that we're going deep mm-hmm. into to make sure that when you look down at that driver, that there is nothing that that is, you know, compromising your eye or your swing. Moving on to equipment before we dwell too long, what's next, Keith? So you're not playing the Honda. So what's next in your schedule? Bay Hill next week, players after that, uh, week off. We'll do the, uh, the WGC match play. And then uh, after that is the cutoff of the Masters that's yet to be top 50 in the world. So um, fingers crossed we have a couple good weeks and, um, you know, keep keep uh, keep the train rolling into Augusta. Bay Hill should be a pretty good setup. It's a bomber's course, and it feels like it's, if you're driving the ball well, you should have a good opportunity there. How do you feel about that course? The last couple of years, the greens have been purple. They've been so fast, and the rough has been high. So if you hit it in the rough, you can't hold the green. So you have to, you know, you have to be in the fairway and you have to hit a high spin shot into the green. So I've been able to play decently well there a couple of times because of that. And finding out, you know, the, you know, really the conditions of the course, you know, it's a little too far out for the weather for the whole week. So if there's any wind and it's dry, I mean, that golf course just plays impossible. Um, so I, I would like to think that you know, plays to my game. But again, it's just at the end of the day, whoever plays the best, no matter your game, will end up winning. So, you know, the, the game style thing is probably five, 10% of it, but it doesn't matter. Every percent is a, uh, is something close to a trophy. Best of luck for the rest of the season, Keith. We'll, um, we'll see you over this end as well for the Open, hopefully. Yes, sir. I'd lo- I hope to see you there. 